You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Good morning. My name's Greg. I, uh, I am the, the church planting resident here at Liberty. Um, I, I just want to say it's, it is so good to be here with you. Uh, my wife, Alexis, a few weeks ago, kind of, it was like Wednesday, and she like looked over at me and said, man, this week is taking so long. I just want to be able to go to church. And, uh, and I think like that speaks for both of us. We, we love it here. We love you guys. Um, I'm excited to get to know you all a little bit better over the next year and a half or so. And we're just really honored to be able to be here. So our, uh, our preaching text this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, uh, verses 8 to 10. If you're using one of the black hardcover Bibles around you, it should be on page 61. I'll start reading in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, you are, you are awesome and mighty, infinitely above our abilities to comprehend. If you had not revealed yourself to us, we would not be able to know you. So we thank you that you are not a God who has remained silent, but actually a God who is has stooped down to our level, gotten on a knee and and delights in speaking to insignificant humans like us. Thank you for your good law. This morning, as we meditate on your fourth commandment, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Help us rejoice in your son, Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. It's in his name and for his sake we pray. Amen. So if I were to ask you, what is the greatest threat to Christianity in our culture today, what do you think you'd say? You don't have to shout it out, it's rhetorical. What is the greatest threat to Christianity in our world today? Is it, is it liberal theology? Is it the rampant deconstruction we're seeing? Is it the prosperity gospel, Christian nationalism, celebrity pastors? I don't think many of us would answer the greatest threat to Christianity today is our busyness or our hurry. And yet, while I'm not sure it's at the very top of the list, it deserves to be talked about a lot more than it is. On a personal level, for you and me sitting here today, I believe that probably the greatest threat or one of them to your personal spirituality is your busyness your hurry, your restlessness. 
Corey Ten Boom once brilliantly remarked, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And yet, like we are all so busy. All of us. Retirees are busy. College students are busy. People in the workforce are busy. Children are busy. Everyone is busy. How often do we ask someone, like, how are you doing? And they respond, man, I'm good. Just busy. I do all the time. We're busy. One would think that our rapid technological advancements of the recent decades would allow more people, more ability to be more efficient and therefore allow more leisure time, but actually the opposite has happened. We are more efficient, but then we just end up working more. I read this week that before the light bulb, the invention of the light bulb, so 1878, the average person slept on average over 10 hours a night. That's wild. 10 hours. The smartphone, with its access to social media, t- social media, constant connectivity, instant gratification, disciples our minds to love immediacy and detest waiting. Our world is designed for speed and efficiency, from the fast food restaurants we eat at to the highways we drive on to get there. Gone are the days of like 45-minute symphonies, and here to stay are the days of like three-minute sound bites that we call songs. And like, don't get me wrong, I love our technology. I don't want to go back to a time without phones, cars, light bulbs, or Justin Bieber songs. They're ridiculously catchy. And yet, there is a spiritually dark side to all of these things. The restless busyness that these things invite into our hearts. Our American culture can seem to incessantly shout at us, be more, buy more, work more, make more, do more. If you have free time, man, like you can work more hours. If you still have free time, you should probably get a side hustle. In our, in our culture, busyness is glorified. It's become a status symbol. The grind never stops. And do we ever collectively slow down? No, that would be un-American. It's not a surprise that psychologists are now using the term hurry sickness to describe a behavior pattern marked by an anxious urgency to make the most of every moment. Anxiety diagnoses are up. Attention spans are down. Burnout in the workplace has skyrocketed. I'm not trying to like come across as alarmist or dystopian or despairing. I'm just trying to say our culture as a whole is anxious, stressed out, and in a perpetual state of hurry. You know how this feels. You do. You know how it feels, that weight, that hurry places on your soul. You know how it feels in your spirit. You know how it feels to be on the go so much that you kind of start to feel distant from God. Or maybe even on the go so much that you start to feel distant from like yourself in a weird kind of way. That undercurrent notion that we're always playing catch up, that there's never enough time in the day. And when we're hurried, you know, like we're human beings. So we get hurried and we become emotionally fragile, prone to get defensive, prone to snap, prone to lash out in anger. The smallest thing when you're in a rush can become a trigger to set you off. And I don't know many of you very well yet, but I would guess that some of the nastiest things you've ever said to your spouse 
or your kids have been when you're in a hurry. So what's the remedy to this pervasive sense of busyness? What's the solution? Like on a large scale level with Western culture as a whole, but also individually for you and I on a personal level, right? Call me, call me crazy, but it just seems like we need something more fundamental to address this restlessness than like another essential oil diffuser, yoga class, and a treadmill desk. What we're going to see this morning is that what God is going to say is that the rhythm of your calendar tells you something about the shape of your soul. This morning, we're going to talk about this rhythm of Sabbath. The Sabbath is a 24-hour period of time every single week that God has woven into the fabric of creation for you and I and all of humanity to rest. So we're going to talk about three things this morning, three things that I want to communicate as, uh, as it relates to Sabbath. First, we're going to talk about Sabbath as rest. Second, Sabbath as rebellion. And third, Sabbath as remembering. First, let's talk about Sabbath as rest. The word Sabbath is an English transliteration of a Hebrew word, Shabbat. Can everybody say Shabbat? A little louder. Shabbat? Shabbat. Look at that. That was excellent. The, the word Shabbat literally just means to stop, to rest, to come to an end, to cease. And God commands his people here in Exodus 20, when he's giving the Ten Commandments, to remember the Shabbat. Remember the Sabbath, keeping one day per seven-day week set aside for rest. Now, I was, I was kind of thinking this week, like, a bit of a weird thing to command, right? If you're going to give people a set of 10 laws, 10 rules of life to follow, it makes sense that, like, hey, don't kill each other makes the list. Don't steal things makes the list. But why every week you need to rest for 24 hours. Why that? Why does God command it? Well, look at verse 11 with me. It says, for, or another way of translating that for would be, because, right, this is the reason you ought to celebrate the Sabbath. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. This is the reason. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God draws the reason for celebrating the Sabbath all the way back to creation. Creation, the day when God created the sky and the land. God rests from his work on the seventh day and then invites humanity to join him. We practice Sabbath chiefly to imitate God. In other words, more basic than being a part of the Ten Commandments. Sabbath is actually a part of being human. It's woven into the fabric of time itself. It's contained within the law. It's contained within the Ten Commandments, but it pre-exists the law. To observe Sabbath is to obey the law, yes, but it's also to be fully human. Right? The Sabbath isn't an Old Testament thing or an Israelite thing. It's a human thing given by God to humanity for humanity, which means, and there are exceptions to this, I'm speaking generally, but if you're too busy to keep the Sabbath, simply you're too busy to be a human being in the way that God wants you to be. Saying that I'm too busy to observe Sabbath is kind of like saying, doctor, uh, 
my arm is too broken for the cast. Being too busy for the Sabbath is the thing that Sabbath was meant to cure. Sabbath is the, the solution to the problem. Sabbath isn't something that we do when we have enough free time built up. Sabbath is something we do to imitate our creator and rest in the way that he wants us to rest. It's good for us to practice the Sabbath. It's rest. Now, sometimes we, or I, I hear people talking about the Sabbath, and to be honest, it sounds uh, just like incredibly boring laborious, ridiculously difficult. Like, there's this like litany of things that we cannot do on the Sabbath and then a short list of things that are somewhat permissible. Um, but, but this kind of runs afoul, this idea of that, that that Sabbath runs afoul of the biblical notion of a Sabbath. Right? The Sabbath, biblically, is neither an exactingly strict day of no fun at all, nor is it a day like just off where you can do the stuff around the house that you've been meaning to do but haven't found the time. Charles Jacob, a pastor and a biblical scholar, he points out that when the Levites are teaching the law to Israel after the exile, right? So Israel goes into exile and then comes back out of exile. And when they go out of exile, they have to like relearn their Jewish identity. So the Levites, the priestly tribe, reteach through the law and they're teaching about the Sabbath. And notably, they do teach that it's a serious day because God convicts of sin on that day. They also teach it's a time for rejoicing. They urge the people to make a feast of it, not to mourn, but to celebrate, to enjoy good food and drink. The Sabbath, biblically, is more of a feast than a fast, literally and metaphorically. The Sabbath is designed by God to be extravagant, lavish, abundant, to be fun, to be a celebration of God and his creation, to be like what your ideal day would be if you just sat down and wrote one up from scratch. Dan Allender, an expert in Christian therapy, he writes of the Sabbath saying this, quote, the the Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it's the best day of the week. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex with your spouse, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it to make it holy because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. For me, the Sabbath means like waking up late with my cell phone off. Like the, the only way you're going to reach me is if you are both a family member and dying. Um, making a big breakfast, like with eggs and hash browns and a superfluous, unnecessary amount of bacon. <laughs> going on a hike with my dog and my family, playing my wife in tennis and just getting obliterated because she's way better than I am, reading some nerdy book in a hammock, then in the evening putting our daughter to bed and sitting on the front porch with my wife, laughing, talking, getting to know each other better as we smoke a pipe and drink a glass of scotch 
That's Sabbath. The question that we ought to ask ourselves when it comes to Sabbath is not, why should we keep it? The question is, why would anyone not want to? This is what God designed us for. Why in the world, why would we venerate busyness as we suffer under its cruelty? You're not a machine. You're a human being with a soul that God designed to rest. And the practice of Sabbath is like a governor on the engine of life, slowing us down just enough so that we have a chance of enjoying life before it's over. Just a a practical note about the Sabbath, right? Like if you're sitting there thinking, man, I don't set aside 24 hours a week for celebratory rest. And, and to be honest, that sounds like a pretty big scheduling change to make. And, uh, and it, it almost feels like, it feels like a burden to try to make that. Um, that's kind of how I was feeling this week. Because to be honest, like I'm, I was reading this and I was like, man, I don't do this. Not well. And just feeling convicted that this is something I need to do better. And so my encouragement to you is simple. It's start where you are. When it comes to Sabbath, start where you are. It doesn't have to be a full 24 hours right out the get-go. Just take an afternoon once a week to turn your phone off, step back from the busyness of life, spend time with your family and your friends, and enjoy God and his creation. Do what you can, start where you are, and God will meet you there. Personalize your Sabbath. Have fun with it. Like make up fun family traditions that you could do on your Sabbath. It could be as silly as like, hey, once a week we are going to wake up and eat ice cream for breakfast. And, uh, and as we do, we're going to talk about how God is a lavish God who just showers us with blessings. But start where you are. And I think that advice actually kind of applies for all of the rhythms of grace in this series. God's a gracious God. We don't have to be experts in prayer and Bible study overnight. Start where you are. And God will meet you there. Sabbath's not designed to be a burden, but to lift the burdens. And Sabbath is to burdens what helium is to a balloon. It's rest. That's Sabbath as rest. Now we're going to talk about Sabbath as rebellion. Look with me at verse 10. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now pay attention to this part. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, this is virtually unheard of in the ancient Near East. Look at the cultures of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Babylonians, the Assyrians. No one has anything like this. Not only do none of those cultures practice the Sabbath like Israel, but they definitely, if they have a day off, they definitely don't give the servants a day off and definitely not the livestock. This is crazy. This is ridiculously countercultural. And here is God, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, writing the the Ten Commandments with his own finger, demanding that not only should everyone take a day off, but reiterating, making special mention of the fact that everyone means everyone. This is not a privilege reserved for the socially elite or the economically advantaged. This is a privilege for the Imago Dei. Right? This is social justice just way before it was cool. So while every civilization around Israel 
works endlessly, God wants to remind Israel that they're not like other nations. They're different. They're set apart. They're holy. In this sense, for for Israel, practicing the Sabbath was an act of rebellion against the surrounding cultures. For us, Sabbath is as well. Sabbath is subversive. Do you want to fight the man? Practice Sabbath. Rebel against our culture's, our, our culture's consumerism. Our world tells us that the good life is bound up with the product that they're selling. It's on the other end of that next purchase. And so we're constantly encouraged to be obsessed with novelty and improvements. Every commercial and advertisement is propaganda geared to believe that if we get their product, then we will be happy. Right? Buy this car and people will finally respect you. Get this kitchen appliance and meal prep will be so much easier. Spray this deodorant on your body and women will flock to you like moths to a light bulb. They love our discontentment because it's easily monetized. But while, while endless fascination with novelty might be good for the economy, it's undoubtedly bad for our souls. And the practice of Sabbath is a way to reorient ourselves and realize that the capitalistic carrot dangling in front of our noses has been attached to a stick all along and that the happiness that materialism promise us, promises us will never actually take root in our hearts for more than a few moments and then it's on to the next novelty. Sabbath is one way to take a step back and say to our consumption-obsessed world, enough. Buying more stuff is not the way to the good life. It's a way to rebel and fight back against the workaholism rampant in our culture. Western culture implicitly tells us that the most valuable trait about us is our ability to be efficient in production. Right? If we're efficient, then we mean something. And so we long for busyness because we can attach our identities to it. And this doesn't apply equally to everyone. But if you are like young-ish and at all upwardly mobile, you know what I'm talking about. The incessant demand for productivity, achievements, progress, efficiency, maximization, at the end of the day, leave us feeling exhausted, in a hurry, and a little bit jittery from all the caffeine. The rhythm of Sabbath is a way to rebel against the tyranny of the urgent and take 24 hours to slow down, stop working, and begin disentangling our identities from our jobs. Here's the thing about this. In our Western workaholic world, you will never be able to practice the Sabbath by accident. It will never just happen. In our cultural river, you must swim upstream because Sabbath is subversive. If you don't go out of your way to practice this rhythm, it will never happen. It's viciously countercultural. It was for Israel and it is for us today. That's the second point, Sabbath as rebellion. And finally, I want to talk about Sabbath as remembering. This is the essence of the Sabbath, right? The thing that both the rest and the rebellion are centered on. 
The Sabbath in Scripture is not just about like rest and rejoicing in the abstract, as if we're just like committed to the vague ethereal concept of rest, generally speaking. Specifically, the Sabbath is about rest and rebelling against the culture because of who God is, who we are, and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Sabbath is a day to remember that we are creatures. We're not the creator. We're human beings, not machines. This means that we have limits. I can't know everything. I can't be everywhere. My mind gets exhausted. My body does too. These limits are good and God-designed. Our finitude is not a result of the fall. It's good. And Sabbath is a way to to give your finitude a big hug, to embrace it, and to say that, remember, when all is said and done, we are not in control. Self-sufficiency is a myth. The self-made man is a pipe dream. We are fragile, contingent, dependent creatures. And it's a good thing. And more than just remembering that we're creatures, Sabbath is a day to remember that we are Christians. We see this idea of Sabbath evolve, even in the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments are given again. Um, That's what Deuteronomy means. Deutero, second, namas, law. It's the second giving of the law. And so, um, but in Deuteronomy, when the fourth commandment is given, it's worded differently than in Exodus. The first part is mostly the same, except for the word remember has switched to observe. And then it's basically word for word until the reason for observing the Sabbath is given. In Exodus, it was creation. Here in Deuteronomy 5.15, this is the reason. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. It has switched. Now It was initially about creation, and now it is about God's restoration, his redemption. Th- these are not things in conflict. This is organic growth in the Old Testament. Now God's people center their Sabbath rest on God's act of salvation. Right, the, the exodus from Egypt functions as the paradigmatic act of salvation in the Old Testament. God's grace and salvation have now become the centerpiece of this practice of Sabbath keeping. And so for thousands of years, God's people on a, on a seven-week basis, every week for 24 hours, practiced Sabbath. And when they did, they remembered God's creation and his redemption And then in the first century came along this Jewish man from Nazareth named Jesus. And Jesus revolutionized everything. Everything. He he didn't do away with the Sabbath, but he did something utterly unique with it. And Jesus' public ministry begins in Luke 4. And I want to read you the first story of Jesus going public with his ministry. This is the very first thing that Jesus did publicly as he began his ministry in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. 
The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. If he had been holding a microphone right then, he would have dropped it. Jesus begins his ministry on the Sabbath day. That's not a coincidence. Reading from Isaiah 61, again, not a coincidence, which is about the year of Jubilee. In the Old Testament, the year of Jubilee, every seven, seven, every 49 years or so, they'd have a Sabbath year where the entire year was off. The land would rest. And Jesus reads this text and explicitly says, this is about me. The entire Old Testament storyline points to me. It's the blueprint for my building. It's the shadow of my substance. It's all about me. The ultimate Sabbath rest has come in Jesus Christ with his arrival. Ultimate rest is here, not in a particular day, but in a particular person. Later in the gospel, Jesus will refer to himself as the Lord of the Sabbath, which first is like an astounding claim to divinity. No one can be Lord of the Sabbath except for God. And second, this means that Jesus saw himself as finally bringing about the ultimate rest that human beings are designed for. The year of Jubilee, the year when slaves are set free, debts are forgiven, peace with God is achieved through the person of Jesus Christ. The year of Jubilee is here, and it is the arrival of Jesus. This is also the Jesus who said things like, Everyone, whoever you are, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And if you're not a Christian this morning, but it's just like, just curious about what this rest would look like for your, for your soul and for someday your body. Or maybe you're interested in learning more about Christianity or what it means to follow Jesus. I invite you, come talk to me after the service or find one of Liberty's elders, talk to them, or, or just talk to the person that brought you here. We would all love to tell you about the rest of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian this morning, then just as a reminder, on the Sabbath, we celebrate like not only that God created the world and designed us to rest, but more specifically that he is in Jesus Christ in the process of bringing about an eternal jubilee, an eternal Sabbath rest. All of human history is culminating in a final day where humans and God will rule this earth together and we will rest for eternity. And this is only true because Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is Lord of the Sabbath. Will you pray with me? Father, you're an infinitely great God. It's mind-blowing to me to even be here and think that you created everything that we see.
every atom, every subatomic particle in every atom. You are infinitely complex, and yet you draw near to creatures like us. Help us remember what you've done in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us look forward to the day when when he will return with his angels and he will usher in a peace on this earth unlike anything we've ever encountered before. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.